Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Let's just gather in if we can and get situated. And hopefully, everybody has notes. Those that are joining us online, there's always notes after the fact on. If you look us up on sermon.net, that's where the notes are. You can listen to the sermons, and there's notes there. But Lord, I thank you tonight as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. We thank you for an open heaven and your glory here. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to anoint and empower this time. I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me everything that needs to be said in this sermon. Even now, the Holy Spirit helping us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that by the Spirit of God, we're locked in and tuned in. Lord, to what you're saying in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to be good soil as living seeds of truth that's sown in the good soil of hearts and minds and lives. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. I thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this everywhere it needs to go, and it will accomplish everything it's supposed to. Lord, we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this in Jesus' name. We command to be bound and clear out. But, Lord, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. And we stand on the promise your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it now. We bind up anything that would try to hinder or distract or resist this. But, Lord, we thank you for us tuning into you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask this little moving around as possible so everybody can kind of focus in. I'm starting a series that's going to be very different than the normal, and I'm going to be dealing with kind of some ancient times, even going back to creation. I'm going to deal with some subject matter that's going to be unique and different, probably some things you've never heard, some stories you've never heard, and I'll tell you if it's, if it's straight from the Bible or if it's from another source or whatever you need to know but as we go through this just keep in mind this is going to be a really different series uh, and it's going to be something the reason why I'm getting into this is because I believe that we're going to see like a re-emerging of some of these things in the last days and so I think it's something you need to be aware of okay and so let me show you what I'm talking about in Luke 17 22 Jesus was teaching he says and he he said to the disciples the days will come when you long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And so what that's saying there is that he's going away, okay? And then he said, they will say to you, look there and look here, but do not go away and do not run after them. For example, after people that maybe say the Lord's over here or somebody's saying I am the Christ and all these different things. Where he said, he's speaking to Israel here. He said, for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of the one part of the sky, shines to the other part, so will it be uh, at the Son of Man at his coming. Now, that's his glorious appearing when he comes to the nation of Israel. But he goes on to say, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah. Now, here's where I want you to see this. Just as it happened, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, that is important that we go back and look at what was it like in the days of Noah, okay, which I'll deal with that throughout this whole series, not necessarily tonight. And then he goes on to say they were eating and drinking and were marrying and they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it's, a, it's like they're saying peace and safety, yet sudden destruction comes on them, you see. And then he gives another example. He says, as it was in the days of, of Lot, so we need to go back and look at Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Lot, what was going on, what was it like, because Jesus said it's going to be like those days when he comes. And in the same way, he says this, he says that they were um, eating and drinking, buying and selling, they were planting, they were building, but on the day that Lot left Sodom, now I want you to notice that, because Jesus is referencing here the, what's called the harpazo, the catching away. There was a, there's a suddenly coming when God's remnant will be caught away. And you can call it the rapture, whatever words you want to use, but it's in the scriptures. And when that catching away comes, then he said once Lot was removed, then he said Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. It rained down fire and brimstone from heaven, destroyed them all. 
and it will be the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So I don't want to get into a deep theological thing here, but there's going to be the, the thief in the night appearing of Christ, then there's going to be the tribulation time, and then at the end there's going to be the glorious appearing. So the reason why I'm sharing this, there's a lot of different things I need to cover. I'm going to take my time with it. But I'm going to talk about probably a lot of things maybe you've never heard or thought of. And the reason I'm sharing this is not only about end-time prophecy, but also this. There's been some very credible prophecies. So this is more for us in River of Life. There's been some really credible prophecies that in Dallas, Dallas would be a hub of revival. Okay? And like a Jerusalem of the West... And so we talked about how, uh, you know, there's prophecies in this region of how God wants to part his spirit. There's a harvest to come and all of that. But we really haven't seen long-term powerful revivals. As a matter of fact, I would go on the record and say, as a pastor, having been here for decades in this region, that I believe there was even a time back in probably 2005, 6, 7, right in there, that God wanted to send a major revival, but it didn't happen. The reason why is because the enemy has positioned some specific spirits in this region that are here to hinder revival. And even if people have seen a move of God for a time, they've swept, those spirits have stirred up evil people that call themselves Christians, mind you, to be used of the devil to bring all kinds of division in the church. I mean, church splits, they rise up a rebellion against the pastor, and it kills the move of God. I mean, I have, I've heard, if I've heard that once, it seems like I've heard that 20 times. And in this region right here, there has been so much of that, people not being able to sustain a move. But let me tell you, I believe because of the lateness of the hour and the severity of the times, and because God has a harvest for us, I believe that God's going to help us to get a move of God here and keep it. And so we're going to really pray about this, though. And, and let me tell you, I felt to warn people, River of Life, you hear me, do not associate with divisive people. I'm telling you that they're out there. And that there's a reason God keeps telling me this, because when we get from here to the next place soon, and there's all these new faces and revival starts breaking out and all... The move of God draws people, okay? Let me just warn you. If people are going to run down your pastor, they're going to run down other Christians, their gossips, their slanders, divisive people, okay, let me just warn you to rebuke them to their face and don't associate with them. They don't need to be hanging around here. Those are the very people. They are, those people right there are the reason why this region has not been able to see everything it's supposed to see. And I wonder how many people could have been saved, but those type of people kept being used of the devil to keep the church in turmoil. I mean, all these places, and we've, we've had our fair share of dealing with those type of people too. And let me just encourage you, though, God is going to open a door for us that no man can shut. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? And that, that's those people I'm talking about. That what they try to do will not prevail. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And I believe that the angels of the Lord are going to contend with them. I really do. Not because we're special, but because, look, I know what people say, well, what has kept you going? Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've heard from God, he has a harvest for me, and it will happen. I don't care. And whatever it looks like when it comes, whoever's with me when it happens, it's going to happen, period. That's the end of the story. Now, when that happens, I know the devil is not going to sit back idly by. And when I spent time with Steve Hill and we talked just one-on-one, -on -one, he warned me. He said, if you want to move a God and a harvest of souls, you better be ready for spiritual warfare. And I am ready. But I'm telling you, that's, you know, it's one thing to face spirits. It's another thing when you face evil people that are slithering around trying to cause problems. That's a different realm. So anyway, I know that you guys are with us, but just be aware of that tactic. And how many knows God wants to fulfill every prophecy? So there's prophecies over this region that I'm contending for. And there was one that uh, Ruth Ward Heflin saw. And she passed away years ago, a direct descendant of Jonathan Edwards. This is a mighty woman of God. I was able to be in, in, in services with her. 
And she was in Jerusalem. She was caught up in the spirit. God showed her this vision of America in the blaze, in the blaze of the fires of revival. And she said eventually as America really began to come into the fullness of it, Dallas, Texas became the hub. And she gave that revival back many, many years ago. We've never seen that one fulfilled, and there's others. And let me tell you, God's got a plan for this region. And so let me, let me just go into this. I want to talk a little bit about Melchizedek, and then I'm going to talk about portals. And this is just an introduction to this series. We're going to get into a lot of strange, um, strange topics and a lot of information. But how many have heard of Melchizedek? He is a mysterious figure in the Bible that we don't know a lot about. But I'm going to share with you what I do know. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about some extra biblical uh, teaching as well as to who he was. At least possibly. So Melchizedek was a king and a priest unto God. Now that's interesting. Because even his name, which is really not his name, it's his title. Even this name... Melech and Zedek. Melech is king. Zedek is righteousness. It implies king of righteousness. It implies both a king and a priest. Okay. And so I want to show you this in the scriptures. In Psalm 110 verse 4. It says the Lord has sworn and will not revoke or change it. You are a priest forever. After the manner and the order of Melchizedek. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. So Melchizedek is actually a picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And then the book of Hebrews brings this out. There's a whole section in Hebrews. If you want to read about Melchizedek, you ought to read the book of Hebrews. Here's what it says. Where Jesus has entered in for us in advance, a forerunner, having become a high priest forever after the order with the rank of Melchizedek. And that's in the book of Hebrews 6.20. So we see the book of Hebrews referenced this priesthood. I don't have time to teach on this, but there's a, there's a lot of teaching that I believe is credible. That there was a time that Lucifer was like a priest in heaven. There was some type of a leading worship and a priesthood we don't know a lot about. And of course, we know he fell and took a third of the angels and that priesthood uh, was removed. And so when Lucifer's fall, then when Adam fell, we know that God had to slaughter some animals and teach Adam. He clothed him in those animal skins and teach him about sacrifice. And so Adam passed this knowledge to others. And you can see it back in ancient times, like in the story of Job is a good example. Where Job saw his family having a time of, of feasting or whatever, and he wanted to make sure that nobody sinned against God. So he took an animal, and he sacrificed the animal on an altar, and that the blood of that offering would sanctify, would purify his family. He was a priest. Is everybody hearing me tonight? Okay. There, he was a priest for his family. And we saw that, for example, in the days of Moses with his father-in-law Jethro, who was a priest of Midian. Okay. There was a lot of this. But obviously Melchizedek also, there was some type of a priesthood over the Gentiles that took place because of Adam. God taught it to Adam. Adam shared it with the righteous. And there became this, this priesthood of sorts where somebody, over, not only over their family, but there were people that it seemed God called them to be over an area as a priest. And I want to show you specifically Genesis 14, 17, uh, Melchizedek here. It says, after his, speaking of Abram's return from the defeat of slaying, Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. There were four kings. Abraham defeated with his family four kings. And the king of Sodom, who Abraham was going after rescuing his nephew Lot, that's the reason Abraham did it, but it defeated those four kings, which of course was uh, a victory for Sodom at the time because the king of Sodom uh, you know, the, the four kings that were beginning to ravish his land. But when Abraham defeated them, the king of Sodom was so thankful to him for delivering them from it. And the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham in the valley of Shaveh, in, in the king's valley. And look at this in verse 18. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which later became Jerusalem. 
okay? He was the king there. But we know he also was a priest of the Most High. He brought out bread and wine for their nourishment, but here's what he was doing. This was a common thing. What we know today is communion. This was something that was spiritual. It was like a covenantal-type meal. And as he ate this with Abraham there, it was kind of like taking communion with him, if you will. And the Bible says he was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him. He blessed Abram, and he said to him, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor and maker of heaven and earth, and blessed, praised, and glorified be God Most High, who has given your foes into your hand. And then Abraham tithed a tenth to, to Melchizedek. So Abraham had so much respect for Melchizedek as a man of God that Abraham tithed to him, his ministry. Isn't that something? So let me just give you something about uh, Melchizedek that Jewish writings believe. And this is actually very true that it could be this way because people say, well, was he alive during the days of Abram? Yes, he was. So we can do it genealogy. You can study it out. He was. But the Jews believe, and it's in extra biblical writings, that Melchizedek was actually Shem, the son of Noah. And I, be I personally believe that that's probably true. It may not be, but I think it probably is. And there's some stories in extra biblical writings that... Uh, you know, people like Paul and the early church read these books, and they were very familiar with them. That's why you sometimes get references in the Bible to these things. Like, for example, Jude quoted a little bit about Enoch, out of the book of Enoch. Isn't that interesting? And then you see, for example, Paul called uh, Janus and Jambres by name, but the Torah never said that. He got that from extra-biblical writings. So they read these things as a historical context okay they viewed them as as history books and having at least some credibility okay so i'm saying that to say this and some of these writings like jubilees and jasher and enoch it gives some stories here and i'm, I'm just going to tell you a couple of them but abram when he was born to terah his father terah was one of nimrod's mighty men you know he was a part of his uh leadership or whatever i don't remember his title but he was somebody that was respected and renowned. And whenever Abram was born, the sorcerers, if you will, of Nimrod, just like you remember how Pharaoh had his magicians, the Saint Nimrod had his magicians, there was a sign that happened in the sky, and they really felt that Abram was somebody special, which he was. And they warned Nimrod about him, so Nimrod tried to kill him. And Terah... He had concubines with different children. He, I don't want to get into this big, long story about it, but he simply took one of the children from a concubine. It wasn't Abram. Gave it to Nimrod. Nimrod killed the child. Thought they killed Abram. Later on in life, he found out. But here's what happened. So whenever Abram fled from that scene, these writings teach that Abram stayed with Noah and Shem. And this is where he learned about God. Are y'all hearing this? This is interesting. This is where Abram learned that there was one true God who is the creator of heaven and earth. He learned it from Noah. He learned it from Shem. And he stayed with them for many years. And all over the world, though, Nimrod was like the leader of all the idolatry and the paganism and all the evil that was going on. And everybody was participating in this. And, and what's known as ancient Samaria, and it became uh, ancient Babylon with Nimrod and Egypt, etc., they were all into these worship of idols and other gods. But Abram, because Nimrod tried to kill him, ended up staying with Noah and Shem. And he learned the truth that there was one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And he and all these other gods are false gods. And then later on, Abram came out of that from Shem, came away from them. And Nimrod tried to kill him again. And captured him and his brother and threw him into a fiery furnace. But Abraham supernaturally was protected and his brother died. And that's why Abram felt a burden to take care of Lot because he blamed himself for his brother's death. Does that make sense? And so that's why when he left his father's house, he was like, I need to look after my nephew Lot 
because his his father passed away so he took him with him to watch out for him now this all of this i don't know for sure if all this is necessarily true or not but it could be and i suspect that there's some truth in it now whenever that would make sense that abram knew this man melchizedek and knew who he was and if those writings are true and i suspect there's some of them it is true then abram spent many years with shem and shem had been like a a spiritual authority figure to him and taught him and then shem ends up later on becoming the priest of salem which later would be jerusalem in fact shem became melchizedek and he became a picture and type of jesus christ to come and when abram defeated those kings and stood before melchizedek if all these stories are true then he stood before somebody that he knew for many years and he probably considered to not only be a friend but like a spiritual father to him and that would make sense as to why melchizedek ate a covenant meal with him and blessed him I could just see, if all of this is true, I could just see Melchizedek looking at him saying, you've been a spiritual son to me. I'm proud of you, and I can see that my God, the one true God, his hand is on you, and that God has a special plan for you. And I see how God just gave you this supernatural victory, and I want to bless you into your destiny. And so Melchizedek is an interesting figure because Hebrews presents him as this mysterious person that seems to come out of nowhere with no known beginning, no known ending. He's just a mysterious figure. But Jewish writings seem to indicate he's probably Shem. Now let me read Hebrews 7.1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem and and priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he returned from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, which we just read. And Abraham gave him a tenth portion of the spoil, so he tied to him. He is primarily, as his name when translated indicates, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without record of father or mother or ancestral line, neither with beginning of days nor ending of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to be a priest without interruption and without successor. Now observe and consider how great a person this was to whom even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Isn't that something? So anyway, if some of these writings are true, and I, I, I suspect that they are, then there's something really special here. But I, I want you to think about this. As I was reading through the scriptures, I noticed that the line of, of Aaron, God had this priesthood, remember, that seemed to be with Lucifer and that was destroyed. Then later, he established a priesthood of sorts with Adam, which, of course, we see continuing with Melchizedek. Then after that, he brought in a whole new order of priesthood with Aaron, where there was to be one place that everybody was to come to the tabernacle, later the temple, and it had to be by Aaron or a descendant of Aaron. So there was a different priesthood. Does this make sense? So when that came, the priesthood from before faded because now there was this new priesthood. And so you had to recognize that priesthood. And then we see that eventually when Jesus came, that he fulfilled everything and he became the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because he's a priest that is both Jew and Gentile. And so he fulfilled everything. I hope I'm not losing you tonight, but this is important. Because I believe that as we look at these scriptures together, I saw how the descendants of Aaron really carefully, uh, you know, kept that bloodline real pure. They, They kept practicing that all the way down. And that's what the Sanhedrin, when you read about the Sadducees, they were the descendants of Aaron. So all through that, and here's an interesting fact, that John the Baptist actually was a, you can read his genealogy, a direct descendant of Aaron. He should have been the high priest of Israel, but because of political reasons, Caiaphas was chosen by Rome to be uh, the high priest. And then it's also, if you study the life of David down, you can see how carefully 
that bloodline was followed as the tribe of Judah and the bloodline of King David all the way down to the days of Jesus Christ through Mary, who was a direct descendant, mind you, of King David. Mary, through that, Jesus was a descendant, right? But isn't it interesting that Mary, being a descendant of David, had a cousin, Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. Do you see how, over time, those two bloodlines that were very distinct from each other began to come together through marriage? And I find it interesting that that came together right at the birth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was going to be both king and priest like Melchizedek. And then on top of that, Jesus lives his life as being a direct descendant of King David. He's obviously a prophet, but how does he begin his ministry? By going to his cousin, a direct descendant of Aaron. He goes to John the Baptist, his cousin, and to be baptized. And one of the ways that you pass the priesthood on to the next high priest, part of that was a water immersion. And Jesus, not needing to be immersed because of sin, he was going there for a different reason. He said to fulfill all righteousness, and he goes before his cousin, a direct descendant of Aaron, the one who should be the high priest of Israel, and he says, I need to be baptized of you. And John says, you need to baptize me. He said, let's fulfill righteousness. What was happening there was Jesus came there as Melech. He came there as king. But whenever John the Baptist immersed him and he came back up, John passed to him the priesthood, and he came up the king of righteousness. He came up as king and priest. And then John basically said, if I could paraphrase, I must decrease now because my time is done. I have fulfilled my purpose, and I have passed to him the priesthood. And now he must increase, so follow him. So Jesus went there that day to become a priest in the order of Melchizedek both king and priest. Does this make sense tonight? All right, so we're looking at this because God has called us to be a priesthood. If you read the writings of Peter, he said that we are called to be a royal priesthood. What does that mean, royal, kingly? So we're supposed to also be operating in this priesthood of being kingly, but a priesthood as well. In the order of Melchizedek, we share in that with Jesus Christ. He said, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people chosen by God. But he also said that we're to come together as living stones to build up a dwelling place for God, that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices or spiritual offerings that are pleasing to the Lord. So everything is fulfilled in Jesus Christ as, as the priest, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And here we are to be a priesthood. So what does this mean for you and I? I want you to see something tonight as I close this out about portals because there's going to be an end-time clash. I mean strong. The Bible predicts this between the power of God, the supernatural power of God, the presence of God. There's going to be a clash with God's power and Satan's power that is going to climax, if you will, with the Antichrist and the false prophet versus God's prophets in Jerusalem. Remember that? And, I mean, there's going to be a strong clash. And we're, we're experiencing a heightened level of spiritual warfare right now. And so there's this clash. And so what do we need to do to be strong in Christ? Because he is our great high priest, the one who whatever lives to make intercession. So the office Jesus is in right now, see, when he walked the earth, he walked the earth as a prophet. But whenever he was getting toward the end of his life, he began to move into that priestly office because he gave us communion. That's a priestly meal. And he began to intercede and so intensely he sweated drops of blood. He was moving into a, a role of a deep intercessor. And then he lays down his life on the cross, which was what? A priestly offering, a Passover sacrifice of himself. And he began, as he raised from the dead, he went up into the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. So Jesus right now is a great high priest. And so as we're really connecting with him in that role right now, 
what do we need to be? Prayer warriors, intercessors, people of worship and prayer. And through that, as you move into the presence of God and you understand who you are and what you have in Christ, you can come together and there can be great authority. Okay, Melech, the king, the son of David. We can operate in the authority in Christ that we have to trample on snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy, to destroy the enemy. But it's connected to this priesthood. There's, there's something about worship and prayer connecting with knowing who we are and taking authority as we come together that we're connecting with him and what he's doing. We don't enter into battles he's not sending us, but when he does send us, know that we will be assured to get the victory. Amen? So we move into that priestly role. And then eventually, one day, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, he's coming back. You must understand this. He's coming back to fulfill the words that Gabriel prophesied to Mary. That he is the son of David. And he will physically come to Jerusalem to sit on the throne of David and reign over the nations. That's when he's coming as the king of all the other kings, the lord of all the other lords. He's coming to reign as a king. Right now, he's in a priestly role. When he was on the earth, he was more of a prophet, almost like, if you will, in the order of like an Elijah. But right now, we're connecting with him as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I'm hoping that this makes sense. So let me shift now to portals. Did you know that there can be portals? When Jesus spoke of himself to Nathaniel, he said to Nathaniel, you, you're impressed because I saw you praying under the fig tree. But he said, I'll tell you, Nathaniel, you're going to come follow me. You're going to see a lot greater things than this. In fact, one of the things you're going to see is the heavens open over the Son of Man angels ascending and descending what does that sound like doesn't that remind you of jacob's ladder so see jesus walked under an open heaven there was some type of a portal and wherever jesus went there was an open heaven angels ascending and descending and the glory of god was there and because of that glory realm he was walking in he could just like pull out of that if you will where loaves and fishes could multiply and feed thousands and thousands of people pulling on that do you remember when Moses let me show you when Moses was on the earth and the children of Israel left Egypt and they had that open heaven over them the Bible says that there was a pillar of fire a cloud by day but there was a portal there was some type of an open heaven over them and there was a glory among them and because of that what happened their clothes didn't wear out they had supernatural food to eat manna they won supernatural victories they shouldn't have won Water came out of nowhere, so there was like this realm of an open heaven and a glory that caused supernatural activity whenever it was needed. Somehow it came through that glory realm to where they were. In the same way, Jesus was walking in that. And there can be portals, both good and bad. There was a ladder that settled down over Jacob, over that area that he slept. But listen... Um, Abraham had been there before him and built an altar there. See, when Abraham built an altar there and he worshiped and prayed there, I believe it opened something over that region. And Jacob did not realize it, but he came into that open heaven. Let me show you. So the ladder that settled down where the, the probably, most likely where Jacob's ladder was, would later be known as the Temple Mount. This was the place where Abraham offered Isaac on that altar I was just referring to. Probably in that same location. And it was in that same location that many, many years later that whenever the temple was built and daily worship was going up there, it says that the priests would go in every evening and every morning and would burn incense and pray. And people knew that. Do you remember when Solomon dedicated the temple and he prayed and he said, if these people will turn and face this or come to this place and pray to this place and pray to you facing this place or coming here, that you would hear their prayers and answer it and they would be delivered from their enemies and their prayers would be answered and all of that. 
See, that's why Daniel, even when he was in Babylon and the temple was destroyed, why do you think Daniel would always face toward that temple area, even in a destroyed condition? And people knew this, and they had an understanding, if you will, that there was some type of a portal there. And what they believed was this, and probably before Jesus Christ, there was probably a lot of truth to this. But they believed that every, every evening and every morning when the priest went in and burned incense, and he's wearing that ephod with the breastplate on his chest, and he would begin to pray, they believed that during those times, it was called the morning and evening sacrifice, that if they would face the temple and agree with the priest... They believed that all of the collective prayers of all those people would come in together like that and would go up before God and it would be heard. And they based that on what Solomon prayed. That's why, and, and here's the thing, his, this is what really impresses me about this. That's why when you read in the New Testament, they would say things like this, around the time of the morning sacrifice, this would happen. Did you know that the angel appeared to Cornelius during that time? So could it be that there really was a portal there and that those collective prayers every day, and might I remind you in the book of Revelation, it says that there's golden bowls of incense that are brought before God and it's the prayers of the saints. But could it be that they understood something, that this was where Jacob's ladder once was, where angels ascended and descended, where Abraham had built an altar and offered Isaac and, and where the temple had set for all those years, 1,500 years basically of off and on, I know it was destroyed and rebuilt, but of worship and prayer going on and they understood that there was something to that so they respected that and they would face that temple and they would pray no matter where they were around the time of the morning and evening sacrifice that priest would kill a lamb, the blood was shed he would, he would offer up a, a libation of the fruit of the vine and put the, uh, the unleavened bread, a picture and type of communion. He would go in, he would burn the incense, he would pray. And they knew around nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, just wherever they were at, to turn and begin to really pray and agree together. And people did that. That's what Daniel was doing, basically, even though it was in a destroyed condition, and that their prayers would go up before the Lord. So I'm sharing that. Because you can look up these scriptures for yourself. It seems that this specific area, and not limited to this, mind you, but this specific geography has a special open heaven. If you want to use the word like a portal, where God, there's an open heaven there, God's presence is there. God has promised to place his name and his presence in Jerusalem, and that was never revoked. Did everybody hear me? All right, so also the first king and priest. So Melchizedek also was the priest, the king and the priest of that same area. Did y'all know that? Just look this way and hear me today because I don't want you to be distracted by anything. I feel like all of this tonight is information that if you understand what's being said, it's important for your personal life and for this church. So Melchizedek, was the first king and priest of that area that would later be known as Jerusalem, where the temple would be built, where there was a portal, where all of that took place, everything I'm describing to you. That later on, Jacob laid his head in that area, and there was some type of a ladder in the Hebrew, which is like a spiral ladder, where angels ascended, descended. That area right there was where Shem, or Melchizedek, was the priest. And then you can see through the scriptures that there's a lot of references to this, Ezekiel 1.4 and 10.1, where it seemed like there was some type of an open heaven or portal. Remember Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says that a door opened in heaven, and there was a voice said, Come up here, and it's speaking of the rapture. And then Malachi 3.10, it says where the windows of heaven were open, and God would pour out his blessings. He would pour out... Uh, more blessings than there's room enough to contain. And then Paul talked about being caught up to the third heaven, but there's something where there can be an open heaven. And might I remind you again, Jesus Christ told Nathaniel, you'll see the heavens open over him and angels ascending and descending. 
So now that I bring all that together, let me give you two more quick things that you know that there can be evil portals. Places that are known for some type of darkness. And I believe that ancient Babylon is one of them, but there are many others. And that's probably one of the reasons why even in our nation, there's certain areas where people that practice paganism or the occult will go to those specific areas and they believe that there's something about those areas to tap into what they're tapping into. And I believe that they're right. So there's like dark portals or dark uh, openings, if you will. But ancient Babylon would be one. This is the place where Adam and Eve once were and fell. Okay, it's also the place where Nimrod built the Tower of Babel. So it's known as a place of great rebellion. The word Babel means confusion, which don't let me get started on witchcraft and things like Leviathan that twist and bring confusion, okay? But Babel means confusion, but in an ancient Sumerian language, it also seems to mean the gate of the gods. I'll talk about this in another sermon for another day. But Nimrod was trying to reopen something that happened in the days that the flood came. He was trying to reinstitute that, okay? So it was like a gateway. Did y'all catch that? In the ancient dialect of that time, Babylon meant like a gate of the gods. Nimrod was trying to open some type of a portal and bring things, spiritual darkness, into that region. Have you noticed that even though there's wonderful people there, but have you noticed that that part of the world as far as we know, has never been able to have peace. There's always been a lot of turmoil. There's been a lot of fighting. There's been a lot of wars, a lot of bloodshed. There's been a lot of evil activity there. Why? Even though there's wonderful people there, and I'm sure there's wonderful churches, yet there's some type of a portal there that's ancient, and there's demonic forces there. As a matter of fact, isn't it interesting in that place that is great of a man of God as Daniel was. How many knows when Daniel prayed, the Bible says on the first day you prayed, your prayers were answered. Yet, in that geography, in Babylon, even Daniel's prayers were hindered somewhat. Not his prayers per se, but Gabriel being sent to him was hindered there. And God had to send Michael to clear the way for him. Because, you see what I'm saying? Where there's, where there's dark portals and dark forces, I mean, it really tries to oppress and hinder things. And there's some dark portals in America. There's things that go back to ancient Freemasonry. There's things that even go back to uh, the Native Americans. There's places, even in America, that predate the Native Americans and even go back, what it seems to, to the Nephilim. And so there's some strongholds here in this nation. Babylon, later under Nebuchadnezzar, was the ones that brought such violence to the nation of Israel. All right, so let me show one more thing, and then I'm going to pray with you about this, because I believe that God wants you to have a portal over your life. Did you know that an open heaven is a personal thing? And I, I, don't, I don't like sharing things like this, I'm actually in many ways a very private person. There's things that I never share publicly. But my wife will tell you and, and Brianna tell you that there's, I've had this, okay, when we bought our house, we were the first ones to live there. And from the very beginning, we had this one place that we dedicated for prayer. And it's my office where I, you know, do research, make sermons, and it's my prayer room. And it always has been. The whole time we lived there, that's all it is. There's no television in there. There's nothing else. And it's just pretty much devoted to that. But you can go in there and pray and just enter right in. You know, the rest, I, I believe, rest of the house, the property, there's a peace, there's a presence of God, it's blessed, there's a glory there, but it seems to be intensified in that one place. Like, the, like if you will, the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, the presence of God was over the whole thing. But where was it concentrated? In a small little area known as the Holy of Holies, right? That seemed to be where there was a portal was right over that holy of holies 
Did you know that you can have in your life something special like that that seems to be connected with really powerful answers to prayer? Now, let me show you a woman that understood this. There was a lady in the Bible that we know as the Shunammite woman. We don't know her name other than that. But she was a godly woman, and she had become elderly and had never had a child. But she perceived that Elisha was a man of God. We all know the story, but I'm going to share it briefly. She perceived that Elisha, who had inherited a double portion of Elijah's anointing, she perceived that he was a real man of God and a prophet. And so he would travel through that area. So she asked her husband, is it okay that if we, if we could build something onto our property here? I don't know if it was like a second story or if it's, it was adjacent to their house, but she built something for Elisha. So when he traveled through, that he could stay there like a little uh, hotel room. And, uh, you know, she had her servants do it. Her husband said it was fine. Well, when she brought in Elisha to her property like that, she, I'm not sure if she fully understood this, but she was moving into her property, the move of God of that generation onto her home. What God was doing in the earth in those days, he was doing through Elisha. She brought that into her home. Now, when she did... It's interesting that Elisha, I'm sure, is laying there one day, and he's got Gehazi with him as a servant, and he's probably thinking to himself, man, this is really nice. What can be done for this woman? He said, call to this Shunammite woman, and she stood at the doorway. Does everybody see what I'm saying? Like a portal, if you will, like a doorway. She stood at the doorway, and she had opened up this for him. And he said, what can be done for you? Can I speak to the king on your behalf? And she said, no, no, I... I I'm paraphrasing it. No, I'm a humble servant among my people. I'm nobody important. There's no reason for the king to know my name. He said, well, what can be done for you? And she said, well, I've never had a son. And she wanted a child. And so he said this. Elisha said, by this time next year, you'll be holding a baby boy. And she said, oh, don't lie to me, man of God. He said, it'll happen. And she did. She conceived and had a child a supernatural pregnancy because she brought in the man of God, the move of God. Okay, picture, if you will, that Elisha, like Jesus, was walking under an open heaven. And whenever she brought him in there, she brought like an open heaven, like a portal into her home. And through that, just like in Jesus' day, remember I said this earlier, open heaven, a glory and Jesus would draw from that open heaven and that glory. He would draw in supernatural activity, a creative miracle, something that should not have been able to happen, that literally defied the forces of nature. He drew that in from that realm. And Elisha was walking in that, and he drew into that realm where she was at a supernatural pregnancy that shouldn't have happened. Then later on, her son died. And she's grieved. Where does she place her dead son? In Elisha's room on that bed. She said, I know that this is a man of God. And she put him there and she ran and got Elisha and said, the son you told me I'd have has died. And of course, we know long and short of it, he came and laid on the boy. And the boy raised from the dead. Where? In the portal that she had in her property in that same place. He was raised from the dead. Then, I'm just going to read, this woman had more miracles than any other one person that I know of in the Scripture. I want you to see this. Later on, whenever um, there was going to be a famine, she had a warning come to her. Everybody say a supernatural warning. Now listen, that led to the fourth miracle. So first off, she had a son she shouldn't have had. He was raised from the dead. How many knows if you had a child raised from the dead, that'd be something you might be telling people about. Okay. Then number three, then she had advanced warning of a famine. That's a big deal. And then number four, it leads to this. She went to live among the Philistines where she had provision. Her needs were met during that time of the famine. Now it doesn't just stop there. You would think, 
this would be enough. How many knows when you bring the move of God into your life that you're going to have a lot of testimonies? Whenever the famine was over and it was time for her to go back, some other people had occupied her property. I mean, she left, but some other people, and so she needed to get her property back, but how would you go about doing that? Now, listen to what happened here. You're talking about supernatural timing. What's the odds of this other than God himself orchestrates it? Gehazi, remember Elisha's servant, Gehazi was sitting there talking to the king, and he's telling the king these really awesome stories of all the miracles that he saw through Elisha and the king is in awe of it listen to this while Gehazi is saying there was this lady in the land of Shunem that Elisha told her she was going to get pregnant and she got pregnant even though she was barren then that boy died and then Elisha came and prayed laid on him and he raised from the dead while she's telling that story the woman comes in to plead with the king. And Gehazi looks and does a double take and says, and that's her. And so the king had great favor toward this woman. How many, everybody say supernatural timing. What's the odds that this woman walked in on that conversation? So the king looks at her and says, well, what can be done for you? <laughs> and she says, I need my land back. And the king says, you got it. She got her land back. What land was that? Was that the land where the portal was, where she opened room for the move of God? God made sure she got that land back. You understand? Then, not only that, but then miracle number seven. Then the king says, I'm not just giving you your land back, but all these years, everything that you've lost, all the food, all the provisions, I'm going to make sure you get all that back too. And he gave her back everything that had been lost over those years on that property. When you make room for God like that, when you have a portal, and let me tell you, I, I can go in that room that I have and I can pray there. And I mean, it's a special place where you can feel the Lord. I feel it here at River of Life. I believe we've had so many powerful testimonies here because it's not anything to do with, uh, let me try to explain this well. It's not anything to do other than the fact that this is holy ground and it's a place where worship and prayer takes place. A lot of prayer, a lot of deep intercession that is open the heavens here and the glories here. And see, people recognize the glory even, they, even though they don't know what it is because the glory has different words, but one word is what? Chavod in the Hebrew, weightiness. And people say, I've heard this a lot, People say, I felt like this weight, this heaviness of God's presence on me. I've heard that a lot. You know what that is? That's the manifest presence of God. Why? Because there's an open heaven over us. There's a glory here. And in this place, I have seen testimony after testimony of people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, people being healed of things, people being delivered of things, People having some type of, they've saw something. I've, I've had people, credible people, tell me they saw an angel. And I have no doubt that they did. And I mean, just all kinds of supernatural activity here. Why? Because you bring in the move of God here. And I believe as we've also had people come in and we've honored that anointing on their life and brought them in too, just like that woman brought in Elisha. But there's an open heaven that's a place. So, Here's what I want to say to bring it all together. We are a part of a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. We need to understand what we have. That we have authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions. We have authority in Christ. And when we really unify together and we're led by the Spirit, you have to be led by the Spirit. But when we come together, we all know Matthew 18 where Two or three are drawn together in the Greek and harmonized in worship and prayer. Whatever you ask will be done. Whenever the Lord is leading and we've taken authority over things, you can feel hell push back, can't you? But see, you also, the Lord, so there's this authority, there's this melech aspect, a kingly, but there's also making God's house a house of prayer. Worship and prayer. And that's where we're connecting with our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, kingly and priestly 
and there's an open heaven here, but here's what I want to leave with you. If you'll really clean up your home and go through it and really make sure anything in the home that would grieve the Holy Spirit, I mean anything that's ungodly movies or if there's anything pornographic, if there's anything occult or, or connected to other gods, anything that's ungodly, if you'll go through and get all that out of your property and that you'll really pray over that property. And we have uh, on our website, on the download page, we have cleansing homes and lands. My wife put that together with me, and together that we could um, just give it to people. But if you'll cleanse your home, and then you'll make your home a place of worship and prayer. And you might even have a specific place that you dedicate to that, where there's not a, a lot of other things going on, you know? I mean, it's just, it's dedicated, and it, you form like a portal, if you will, over that. I'm telling you, don't be surprised if you do that, if you don't start noticing really powerful answers to prayer. Miracles, even angelic activity that you would have never thought you would see, but you have created like an open heaven over your property. Where just like Jacob's ladder, the angels ascend and descend the glories there. I could tell you testimony after testimony on our property of things that we've seen there. My wife will tell you. We've had multiple times where we've been told that people, and we've seen it too, but people have seen angelic activity. I mean, credible stories of people seeing angels there. We've, we used to have church there. So we've seen so many people baptized in the Holy Ghost going through the house and looking behind me and just seeing people everywhere under the power of God. Powerful prayer intercession there. Um, credible healings and miracles, deliverances from things. But it's a place that we dedicated to the Lord from the beginning, and it's a place of prayer. And on our property, we, we make it a place of prayer. I pray there every day. My wife prays there every day. And uh, we kind of share a property with... Uh, my daughter who lives next door, but that whole property, I mean, it's a place of prayer. And it, because of that, when you make it a place of worship and prayer, there can be a portal there where God does amazing things. And I'm just telling, my wife will know what I'm talking about, but God's even given us, as we prayed together, given us clear, precise, prophetic words that we documented and we begin to pray into those words and they've happened even to our shock to see them unfold the way they did. Am I not telling the truth, Sandy? But it's an open heaven there where you get revelation like that. You see, if you try to go somewhere, I, I've been there, you try to go somewhere where it's oppressed of demons or even a place that's just sterile, just real secular, and you try to pray there and really get revelation, have a powerful prayer time, it can be a little difficult. How many have experienced something like that? Even places of worship where you go and it's oppressed of the enemy and it's hard. But when you get into an open heaven where the glory is, it's easy to worship and pray and it's easy to see the miraculous. How many under this open heaven can say, Pastor, in this place, I have really been touched by God in a supernatural way. Baptized in the Holy Ghost, anybody? Somebody ever been delivered from something of the devil? Anybody ever been healed of something? I have. I mean, you've experienced things. How many would say you've even got some type of revelation, maybe a really powerful thing you saw or God spoke to you or God used somebody to prophesy to you and it was God? How many have had revelation, you see? When you get in open heaven... The Lord comes in that place. Now, why am I sharing all this? I close with this. If you'll understand your role and you'll begin to make your life, dedicate your property, a place of humility, prayer, fasting, giving, consecrating your life, and worship and prayer, I'm believing with you that you're going to create an open heaven over your life. But let me encourage you, don't get too caught up with the things of this world. Don't get too caught up and distracted with making money too much or too busy with things or too wrapped up with your friends all the time doing stuff. There's going to have to be a real focus on this. If you'll make prayer a priority, 
Watch as God opens the heavens and things start changing. That's where you start seeing miracles like your family getting changed and and miraculous activity of, of, of your loved ones getting saved and all these different things happening. When you have a portal, there's something there. And I know there was this story, and I saw this myself as well because I was mentored by a couple intercessors. And they, they were really powerful intercessors. They really were. And they knew God. They knew God's presence. And so I, I heard this story from Perry Stone, and, and he said, you know, please don't try to find anything out about this. But there was a lady, because they don't want people to make it weird, you know. And there was a lady who was a real powerful intercessor that would pray in this specific place and in, in this specific chair for years. I mean, her whole life, she was a powerful intercessor. She died, and then her mentor took on, she had that chair. And, and she said, man, when I would sit there and pray, she said it was just so powerful. And I know, um, how many have seen that, that movie, um, oh, what was it about the intercessory woman? War Room. All right, if you haven't seen the movie War Room, you need to watch it. If you have seen it, you need to watch it again. So this lady prayed, right? And she had a room she dedicated to prayer. And remember when she, that obviously this is a movie, but I'm telling you that this type of thing happens. When she sold the house, there was a pastor bought it, and he walked in and out of that room, remember that? And he said he could feel the Lord in that room. And he said it was like it was baked in, you know. That, that can happen. I mean, I know it's a movie, but I'm telling you from experience that that can happen. And I'm telling you from experience as well that if we, when we go from here, if there's another church or something comes in here, they're going to come in here and say, it's baked in. But at the same time, I see us going out with the, the ark on our shoulders and carrying the glory to the next place and seeing, trust me, I'm telling you this by the Spirit, a much greater revival where we're going than what we've seen here. I promise you, it's going to be a lot greater. So make your house a house of prayer. Make it a priority. Start praying into that. Lord, what Pastor was talking about, I want my home to be that. I want there to be a portal there. I want the glory there. I want to be able to have a powerful prayer life there and my family too and to have miracles there. So Lord, we thank you as we close this out. We're living in the end times where there's going to be a lot of spiritual darkness. There's going to be a lot of spiritual warfare. There's going to be a lot of evil activity. There's going to be a great clash between good and evil. And Lord, we need our properties to be like a haven where God dwells, where the glory of God will be like a defense, like an armor, like a dome of protection over that dwelling. It's an open heaven. Like Jacob saw where angels ascended east and the glory is there. It's a place where we can pray and see miracles so that when the enemy tries to come, he's not going to be able to because it's a place that's holy ground and it's powerful. Lord, help us to press in and experience that in our personal lives. We will need that in our individual lives, among our own family, not just at church, but in our homes, we need it individually. So, Lord, I'm asking you, and everybody's in agreement, Lord, let that begin to happen in people's homes as they seek you, as they begin to pray over their property, as they begin to cleanse it and bless it, and they begin to make it a place of worship and prayer. Lord, let there be like an open heaven, a portal, and let your glory come into that place. And it's a place where they encounter the living God. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it. Because you've called us to be kings and priests unto God. In Jesus' name, let it come. Just for a moment, just be quiet where you're at. Just for a moment, agree with me. There's something... I just feel the Holy Spirit saying that there's thick darkness that's coming on the earth in these last days. Thick darkness. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be a targeting spiritually. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying to me right now to tell you to be prepared for that. And one of the ways you're going to be ready is to make your home a place that's like a refuge, a spiritual refuge 
where the enemy cannot oppress there because it's holy ground. It's a place of prayer. It's a place where you take communion. It's a place where the blood of Jesus is applied. And the enemy will have to pass over your property and won't be able to bring in things there that he will in spiritual dark places, but he won't be able to get into your dwelling and cause destruction there because it's holy ground. I felt the Holy Spirit just stop me and tell me to tell you that. There's some things that are coming. Those that are listening to this, I'm going to make sure this is on the recording. But please hear this because I felt the Holy Spirit stop me and tell me to tell you that there's things that are coming. They're not here yet, but they're coming. Make preparation for it. Make your house a place. You can print off that off our website. It's free. It's just there to help people. You could go through your property and pray over it and really get it ready spiritually. When the enemy shows up, he's not going to be able to do whatever he wants to do. You see? But Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want us to spend a few moments here together in prayer. If you would, we can just go to a screen and put on some worship. But I want us just to pray together and intercessors to pray some. As a matter of fact, I'm not necessarily going to